All right. No need for the usual intro. My name is Theo. This is my podcast. And today we need to talk about how race relations get talked about in America. This is part two of my Race in America series. Did part one last week. And admittedly, I came into this episode in kind of a good mood. And then I started doing the research for it. Yeah. Okay. So let's open with a quote that then Clippers, now Sixers coach Doc Rivers said this past summer when talking about police brutality. It's amazing to me that we keep loving this country, but this country doesn't love us back. I do care about America. I very much do. But I am about to pull back the curtain, so to speak, on the things that they've done, that America has done. My philosophy is that you have to be incredibly skeptical of things that you care about. You can't let blind spots develop. Taking America for only its benefits to you, but not its disadvantages to you or other people is both disingenuous and honestly short-sighted. And that's where I had to learn a really hard lesson in voting. You only get one vote every two years. People will vote for themselves, no matter how bad they do feel for other people, no matter how much they may dunk on one candidate or another on social media, no matter if they posted their black square this summer or not. At the end of the day, you only get one vote. And nearly everyone uses it for themselves. That's why trying to forcibly sway voters that are on the fence is practically impossible. Let alone someone who's on the opposite end of you. Another thing about race. Another thing about race. I just use this example with my future in-laws. Do this experiment with me. Think about whatever your strongest belief is. No matter where you got it from, your strongest belief that nobody, for any reason, could ever move you away from. Mine for example, is that no one race of people is flatly better as a human being than anyone else. And that people of certain races should be treated with respect and fairness. Right? I have that belief. But there is someone out there who has the exact opposite belief to me. And they are fixed there. And they will not budge. Just like how I won't budge. They are just as strong in their belief as me. So think about that for yourselves. Whatever your strongest belief is, someone out there feels just as strongly as the opposite 
of whatever that is. And that's why racism will never go away. I think people are far too naive about how racism works in the world. People believe that it should be this way. There are people now that think that America is conceding too much to minority Americans. There are legitimately people who believe that we already have enough. That's one of the hard things about voting, period, right? For three and three quarters years out of every election cycle, minorities, oh, they're terrorists, killers, rapists, murderers, drug abusers, dealers, thieves, rioters, all that stuff. But for that one quarter of a year, we're so important, aren't we? We're so important as you take away the funding to historically black colleges and universities, as you make it harder for immigrants to make it into the country, as you take away social service programs, as you take away those kinds of freedoms that we just hope we could get. But when it comes time to vote, oh, don't, oh, please, we, I've done the most for you. Oh, there's no one who's ever done more for me in your community after you absolutely vilified me in front of your entire audience for three and three quarters years straight. Okay. And that's almost every candidate ever you have to struggle with that with. All the time. Oh, you like me now that it's my turn to vote, huh? You like me now. But not if it's a little dark outside and I have my hood up. Oh, no, no. Not, oh, he's just one voter who could side with me. No, 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 no. That In that moment, oh, whew. Your body is tense. You got that lemon booty. You are tight. You already know what time it is. But no, election season. But but of course, how how could they not represent themselves well in the minority community? They did the whip and the nay nay in front of a bunch of thousands of people. They did the dab in front of Morehouse. They shot a basketball with like LeBron. Like stop, all right. I'm not an idiot. Okay, the internet exists forever. Okay, I I will watch everything you do for four years straight. Don't think I'm dumb. Don't don't do that. Don't play yourself, okay? Don't think all because you want to get reelected that you can just flip a switch and all of a sudden all of those things you said, all of those policies you implemented will make me like you. And that's for anybody, for any point in time moving forward. All of the things you may have said, before you were a candidate, during candidacy, after your campaign's over? I remember. Don't get it twisted. For today's topic, I have some clarifying notes. We're talking about the way history is taught. 
no, I am not a U.S. history major, but I did very much like my AP U.S. history teacher in high school. We had a very good relationship. No, I am not a U.S. history major, but I do have access to the internet. No, I am not a U.S. history major, but I do have a tendency to connect the dots. And no, I am not a U.S. history major, but this information will inevitably impact my children. And for the first time, I am publicly saying this, but will probably surprise nobody. I will do anything to make sure my children are as well-informed, well-educated, open-minded, and perceptive as humanly possible. They do not need to agree with me, but I want the evidence to be presented to them. The world is a dangerous place. And one of the reasons it's dangerous is because we, as black and indigenous people of color, are not in charge of how history gets written. And that's what I want to talk about today. The idea is not that I am the final and ultimate authority on these things, but for the next time you're curious, the next time the topics I bring up come up in conversation around you, you may be able to take the next step. If there was any need to clarify why I'm talking about this or why I'm qualified to talk about this, I don't think there needs to be. Everyone is allowed to educate themselves and speak up. Everyone is allowed to voice their opinions and grow. And I want my opinion to be voiced while I have the means to have to do that. For full transparency, this topic wasn't going to come up as part two. I had another episode lined up, but the presidential race has me, among many other things, upset. During the first presidential debate, that absolute mess. The current president of the United States, as of right now, said that they're teaching the kids wrong in school. They're teaching the kids that America is racist. To which I almost screamed. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I was quite animated when he said that. During the election period this week of, Eddie Glaude made the rounds from MSNBC. He said that America is not unique in our sins, but unique in our refusal to acknowledge them and the legends and myths we tell to protect the idea of our innocence. A video of Chris Rock made the rounds on social media this week. He said that he had a problem with civil rights movies because it makes racism seem fixable. It's always the back of the bus scene or the restaurant scenes, but never the incredibly abhorrent stuff. He said that during the Great Depression, 
white Americans would just go into black families' homes and take their food. He said that his mom had to get her teeth taken out at the vet. The insidious stuff that they won't show in movies in America because it's too uncomfortable for the story is the problem. I was talking to my girlfriend about black trauma movies, and I've always had a discomfort with them. But I could never put in answer as to why. And I figured it out after I watched The Hate You Give with her. And watching The Hate You Give, I would recommend it. It's actually pretty solid, but same conclusion nonetheless. Racism is portrayed in these movies as fixable. That one person or two people can just stand up for someone black or some minority and poof, the problem's gone. But it is so extremely unlike that. The best example I have is the movie slash biopic 42. In 42, about Jackie Robinson, portrayed by the late great goat Chadwick Boseman, there's this moment where a dad is with his son and Jackie Robinson comes up to bat and the dad starts calling Jackie Robinson played by Chadwick Boseman, the N-word. And plenty of other people in the stands are as well. And the son hears everyone else doing it and does it too. Racism is taught. And that's a good indicator. But the movie also closes with everyone cheering for Jackie Robinson being accepted into baseball, but that's merely out of concession. Those same people are allowing progress in what I'd like to ironically call an arena, right? An arena of progress. Allowing growth in in an arena of life doesn't tell the full story of how black Americans outside baseball still weren't afforded equal housing, equal access to education, equal access to financing. But since the movie showed baseball discrimination, then at-home discrimination, then baseball discrimination getting quote-unquote fixed, it portrays this and everything everywhere was happily ever after moment, which absolutely did not happen. And I hope think, thinking next time, either the next episode or the one after that in this series, I will be talking about access to opportunities. I'm really excited for that one. Uh, that was what this one was going to be. But, you know, life calls for different things sometimes. Now we take take a little side detour before I hit the real meat of what we're going to talk about today. Let me ask you this. Another experiment. I, 
I, I just want you guys to do these with me because they're I feel like they're fun. They can help reinforce the lesson here, right? Ask yourself this. Just get the picture, the story into your mind, right? How do you think black Americans got to this point on November 6th, 2020, right? I'm not saying, you know, from like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth or Big Bang or something like that. I'm saying from when you thought everyone lived on separate continents, how do you think we got to November 6th, 2020? In other words, I'm asking you, how do you get taught the history of America? Because the way I was taught was nowhere nearly as bad as it actually is. I would assume your education, if you didn't take a black history class at any given point in time, probably went a little something like this. Christopher Columbus, who's a total piece of shit, went to go get some spices and went west. He found some people and told Western Europe about it. Western Europeans have a disagreement with Native Americans and the Native Americans retreat. America gets mad at its mom, England. They fight and America wins. Everyone's free. Yay, everyone's free. America gets a wake-up call one day that slavery isn't the right thing to do. So it stops, smiley face. America then realizes that there aren't enough resources for black Americans, so it gives them more. Ooh-woo. And now we're here. I promise you, that's not what happened. Clearly. <laughs> So let me fill in the cracks in the best way I know how. Starting with this gigantic oversight that we get fed historically, which is how slavery ended. Now, whatever you think the answer is, I think there's always going to be more. There's always more to look at, right? So let's talk about when it happened. We're talking... Of course, Juneteenth, which is like the main day where it was proclamated as, hey, this should probably stop, right? You're talking a situation where, yes, the Emancipation Proclamation is put into law and things like that, but the word doesn't reach the recesses of Texas until Juneteenth, right? And when you get a situation where, Ju like Juneteenth in 1865, you may be thinking, well, what happened before that? Did no one just, did no one have a conscience? Well, that's technically true and not true. Let's break it down like this. In 1776, the Declaration of Independence was formed, right? 
if you do the quick maths, you'll know that 1865 and 1776 are almost 100 years apart. 100 years of continued slavery sounds crazy, doesn't it? In fact, 100 years ago was like Great Gatsby time. You know what I'm saying? Like that's to give you some scale. We all roaring 20s this and roaring 20s that. And now it's the COVID 20s. You know what I'm saying? The Just give it that amount of scale so you can see how long it is. It's 90 years. So that was the Great Depression ago. That's how long ago that was, right? In between World War One and World War Two, 90 years. It's a very long amount of time. But I think you need to add a little, just a little more context to it. And this is what we're going to do. Think about the day, whatever day you think it was that caused the end of slavery. And also think about whatever the factors were. Like what, what, it, what must have been the case to make the factors of slavery come and go, right? If you have the answer in your head and your answer wasn't the industrial revolution, then you're wrong. Here's what happened. Um, slavery was going swimmingly for slave owners in America. And there were rebellions from time to time, which I'm not covering that at this point in time because people have covered it way better than I will. And I don't feel like talking about the ins and outs of slavery but I do want to talk about why it ended, and it's not because people felt bad. The the UK, I guess that's what you could call it, Britain, the UK, England, whatever, mom, mom said in the 1800s, hey, I think we need to find more efficient ways to make stuff. The Industrial Revolution happens. Now, note that there's been two Industrial Revolutions by the time slavery ends, two of them, right? And here's the basic concept of the Industrial Revolution. Make a machine that turns the jobs of five people into the jobs of one person, right? So let's say you get like a plow, like the horse-drawn plow makes it so a horse can do what a bunch of humans can do, right? That's just a very rudimentary example, right? But if you can make it so that you don't need as much man hours, like direct labor hours is, of course, the business term. But if you don't need as many man hours to do something, why feed, house, employ, and pay for extra people if you have a machine that can do the work of extra people? I think you know where I'm going with this. By the time the Industrial Revolution was very much adopted in the United States, specifically, specifically the northern part, the North realized that it was actually just economically inefficient to have slaves. No, that's not cap. I'm dead serious. It's just about economics. It's all about direct labor hours. If one person can do the job of five people in less time, then it takes to, and also you're saving money on feeding those people and housing those people. As a business person, wouldn't you always just take the machine? 
That's how slavery ended in the North. Yeah. Mom came up with the Industrial Revolution, sent us some machines that people in the North said, hey, this saves us time and money. What do we need slaves for? They're just taking our food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't some gigantic, oh, but think about their livelihoods. I'm pretty sure the first, if I haven't checked, the first four presidents, the founding fathers we also revere and love and blah, blah, blah. They had slaves. All right, let's not. Let's not do this, okay? They had slaves. Okay? You have to understand that it's all about business. That's where, that's what they don't teach us about in school. It, they give us the, oh, everyone's hearts were changed. No, it, no, no, absolutely not. No, sir, not here, not in this America. Maybe in an other universe's America. Maybe in your Sims version of America. Maybe on your Animal Crossing Island named America, but not in this one. Economics, save money. Direct labor hours. So then the South. <laughs> More on the South later. But as long as, you, as as much as we know, they definitely didn't roll over at the idea of it because they were so technologically behind that they actually, quote unquote, needed slaves. A subset that I want to talk about, which will actually lead us into the broad, I mean, just the meat and potatoes or if you're vegetarian, the, the, the quinoa and beans of what we're talking about here, right? Phrasing. I'm pretty sure you've, you may have heard someone say this before, but I'll say it again, because why not? Racism is fluid. It is not stagnant. If racism looked the same in 1650 as it did right now obviously it'd be really fixable what is someone with a musket that's going to take 15,000 years to reload going to do against normal human beings tell me the answer is nothing right it evolves it clearly evolves right here's 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 where we go into it right Back to my own words that I actually wrote down so I could, you know, stop myself from rambling. But I rambled anyway because it's my podcast titled Theo Keeps Talking. So, you know, that's all I do. Racism finds its way around public ire by giving people that are less inclined to be offended these fun little phrases to use to describe what's happening. It's kind of like this, right? Have you ever heard of a cold, a cold stimulus trigeminal headache before? A cold stimulus trigeminal headache. Have you heard of, have you ever heard of that before? No, probably not. Have you ever heard of a brain freeze before? They're the same thing. <laughs> They're the same thing. Simple. It's like naming, it's like the fancy thing of, 
yeah, things you don't need on your body, like a tailbone. They're called vestigial structures, but like, heh <laughs> tailbone. Like, you know, it just they're just fun. They're just more fun when you give them fun things people can remember them by. But only America does it in the most sinister ways humanly possible. I know you guys want some examples. Trust me, I got them. Let me illustrate. Let me let me go to work. Example number one. Manifest destiny. The idea of manifest destiny is that everything west of the colonies established in the in the primitive United States was white people's God-given right to own. The narrative was to take the land away from the uneducated savages that lived there. Here's the result of Manifest Destiny. The Trail of Tears. Land Displacement. Wars. Biological Genocide Through Transmitted Diseases. Manifest Destiny. Here's some other fun names. Cowboys and Indians. Yeah. Another cute way of saying Native American genocide, huh? Am I the only one who... I know I'm not the only one who played Cowboys and Indians growing up. And you know that one of the sides was perceived as bad, and you know which one that is. Oh, and <laughs> you thought that the old name of the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys just so happened to be... they You thought they just so accidentally became rivals? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. That was on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Here's some trivia about Manifest Destiny. Guess what happened as a result of Manifest Destiny? This one's crazy. This one's crazy. Crazy. The state of Indiana. End of sentence. The state of Indiana. Now let's do do a little experiment. Just do a little experiment with me, right? Say it with me. N D N uh okay let's do a little faster indian uh yep indian uh uh-huh they decided to remove indian territory but they kept the name indiana <laughs> amazing like that's just that's just peak colonization right it, the the place is called Indian, uh, and they just moved everyone out. They just said get out, right? Like that's just oh my god, America. But we're the land of the home, the free, and the I don't know who who's the last person who actually listened to the national anthem. Are you serious? That song doesn't even slap. You want to know the real national anthem? 
Please, can we all rise for the playing of Dreams and Nightmares by Meek Mill? Oh my god, no one would ever forget how to ever sing the national anthem. Honorable mention for the national anthem, The Climb by Miley Cyrus, Bad Romance by Lady Gaga, Misery Business by Paramore, and of course, how how could you ever not submit this one? <laughs> I want to dance with somebody. But I mean, how do you how do you how do you go wrong with that song? Just 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 throw on the track and everyone's happy. But no, we got some for the land of the free and the home of the brave. Stop it. Here's another one. Another one in the notch of the belt of cute phrases America tries to pass on to us. Southern pride slash states rights. The idea that states should have their own regulations on how their economy should run. The narrative was that the oppressive North was trying to take away the Southern way of life. And you know what the Southern way of life is. Obviously, it's sweet tea, barbecue, and diabetes. Result. The Confederacy. The Confederate flag. But you know, states' rights. Some other fun names for state state rights, of course. Being a rebel, because, you know, not letting the North win. And I've heard this one, which makes me roll my eyes so hard my entire body rolls with it. A little disagreement between the North and the South. I'm dead serious. I've heard it called a disagreement. <laughs> Man, sometimes white people just amaze me. Like, they just, they, they're like, oh, nah. It's not about something materially important or anything. Just a disagreement. And, of course, I mean, you know, back then. But it's just like, What? What? It's crazy. Now, here's some trivia. I shall now read you an excerpt from the Declaration of Causes of Seceding States, which is basically the reason why they left. Starting with Georgia, paragraph one. Quote, The people of Georgia, having dissolved their political connection with the government of the United States of America, present to their Confederates and the world the causes which have led to the separation. For the last 10 years, we have had numerous and serious causes of complaint against our non-slaveholding Confederate states with reference to the subject of African slavery. They have endeavored to weaken our security to disturb our domestic peace and tranquility and persistently refuse to comply with their express constitutional obligations to us in reference to that property. End quote. 
Bertie. Yes, they're talking about black people. <laughs> Property. Paragraph three of the same document. While the subordination and the political and social inequality of the African race was fully conceded by all, it was plainly apparent that slavery would soon disappear from what are now the non-slaveholding states of the original 13. The opposition to slavery was then, as now, general in those states and the Constitution was made with direct reference to that fact. Translation, we're leaving because we can't have slaves if we stay. Georgia. Don't you just love America? State two. Mississippi. Paragraph one. In the momentous step which our state has taken of dissolving its connection with the government of which we so long formed a part, it is but just that we should declare the prominent reasons which we have induced our course. Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery. The greatest material interest of the world. Its labor supplies the product which is by far the largest and most important portions of commerce of the earth. I'm going to read that last part again. Just I, I, my brain was melting reading this. Its labor supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portions of commerce of the earth. Slavery was so important to them that it did not matter about how black people deserved equal protection and rights under the law. It wasn't even about freedom. They were just a means of production. But, oh, it wasn't that long ago. This was in 1865. It isn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. A little bit later down, same state of Mississippi. You ready for this? They were the the pres the preface for this little part is they were saying that the North has infringed upon their rights, blah, 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 blah. The infringement basically is how this starts, but I'll just let you remember the infringement. It has grown until it denies the right of property in slaves and refuses protection to that right on the high seas in the territories and wherever the government of the United States had jurisdiction. It refuses the admission of new slave states into the Union and seeks to extinguish it by confining it within its present limits, denying the power of expansion. It tramples the original equality of the South underfoot. 
it has nullified the fugitive slave law in almost every free state in the union and has utterly broken the compact which our fathers pledged their faith to maintain. It advocates Negro equality socially and politically and promotes insurrection and incendiarism in our midst. It and has utterly broken the compact which our fathers pledged their faith to maintain. These people's parents were awful people. And they made awful people who made awful children. Those awful children were born in the late 70s, which means they were alive by the 10s. Do you not understand that they probably made children that may still be alive? Grandchildren, excuse me. All you got to do is count backwards by generation instead of by number. And (laughs) just uh, just what? It uh, it tramples the original equality of the South underfoot. What equality. And of course, Virginia, Texas and South Carolina made some comment, some constitutional whatever's as well. But you get the deal. This was bad. This was very, very bad. I got a few more for you. National security concerns. That's the phrase we're using here. National security concerns. The idea was that since before the U.S. entered World War II, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. That's what we're talking about. The narrative was to make sure there were no foreign agents trying to sabotage national security. The result, internment camps for Japanese Americans, only America was so racist that they converted the entire West Coast into zones and put any Asian person they could find into them. Trivia. I mean, think about it. Do you think white dudes from the 40s? in the military would be considerate enough to tell the difference between someone who's Chinese, Japanese, Korean, or Filipino, or etc. Or the list goes on. Of course, there's multiple, multiple demographics of Asian people, but you get what I'm saying. Do you think that they knew back then? Do you think they know now? <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you really think they know now? Extra trivia. They actually did internment camps in two separate eras. They did it again in the 60s and 70s for the Vietnam War. So yeah, if anyone ever brings up Vietnam to you, that's actually the most recent time the U.S. government outwardly and obviously publicly discriminated against Asians in America. 
never let anyone tell you that that was forever ago. Got another one for you. Law and order slash the war on crime. I will specifically be talking about 1968. The idea was that American civilians were becoming increasingly demonstrative against public institutions and the police. Richard Nixon was heading the Republican platform and working class people were very angry about the uprisings and dealings of offenders in America who were disturbing the peace. Result, three strikes laws, more direct police funding, and public ire towards protesters won out. Policing increased across the U.S. Trivia. You want to know why this passed? Simple. The Civil Rights Act of 1964. Please, please do not let anyone tell you that life was peaceful and happy back then. People were big mad about protests back then. They they weren't just people holding hands, sitting still. It was just it what you think that right now is bad. It looked just like it. We just have cell phones. Extra trivia. Literally, <laughs> I cannot tell you how similar the period between 1964 to 1968 is to 2016 to 2020. It's almost frightening how similar they are. Like, please, if you get a chance, read about that time period. If you just get some free time, it's almost word for word what's happening right now. Here, here's a line from House GOP Republican leader Gerald Ford, who later became president in the 70s. Here's a line from him during the 60s. How long are we going to abdicate law and order? In favor of a soft social theory that the man who heaves a brick through your window or tosses a firebomb into your car is simply the misunderstood and underprivileged product of a broken system. I mean, it, it doesn't get any more similar than that. And that's why for part one, I talked about why protesting is a sign of a deeper issue and how lack of resources stemming from racism-induced poverty is the big deal here. They had the same exact argument back then as they do now. It's the same thing. It's almost impressive how similar it is. Now, let's talk about the big one. The real, the real big recent one that I feel like more people pay attention to than the others because it has a phrasing that elicits a very negative response from our parents. War on drugs. The war on drugs. 
this is from Nixon to Reagan. So they 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 fusion danced their 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 way through this one. The idea was to stop the illegal drug trafficking trade in the United States. Reagan introduced mandatory minimum sentencing for marijuana possession and oversaw a whole host of issues. Let me just read a few. I didn't type them down because I realized it might take too long and I really wanted to get this episode out. So let's just, you know, let's let's just read something crazy here. In 1986, the U.S. Congress passed laws that created a 100 to 1, 100 with two zeros, to 1, no zeros, sentencing disparity for the trafficking or possession of crack cocaine when compared to penalties for trafficking powder cocaine which had been widely criticized as discriminatory against minorities, mostly blacks, who were more likely to use crack than powder cocaine. Persons convicted in federal court of possession of five grams of crack cocaine received a minimum mandatory sentence of five years in federal prison. On the other hand, possession of 500 grams of powder cocaine carries the same sentence. What? What? God, just God, let me just read this one from God from 1980 to 1984, the federal annual budget of the FBI's drug enforcement units went from $8 million to $95 million. God, just like, let me just read this one to you. From John Ehrlichman, who was the VP for Richard Nixon. Listen to this. Just listen to this. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies. The anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. <sighs> this country is... <laughs> oh. 
Oh my gosh, I am losing it. Anyway, back to try to compose myself. That's where I stopped typing my last set of notes because I just couldn't believe it. Uh, But people were, I think there was a company, there was a company, I think it was PacSun, was selling Reagan Bush 84 campaign t-shirts just like it was a regular t-shirt and people were wearing it out in the street like it was just just fashionable and i'm like is this an attack on myself are you (sighs) trying deep breathing think about water flowing through a stream think about having fun with your friends yes okay Lastly, I, I, I just, uh, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about why it's bad to, why it's bad to keep monuments to things like the Confederacy. Let's just talk about it, right? There was this big hissy fit thrown this year, like, oh, you don't need to take down the statues. You don't stop, stop. All right. That if you didn't pick up on just the unbelievable amount of racism I just read that was federally allowed by the presidents of the United States, um, there's no reason to worship these people. That's what statues are for. Like if you take a statue down but you put it in a museum or put it a plaque or an excerpt in a museum, it's different. It's inside, it's in a location it's supposed to be in, similar to things about its era. If you put a statue out in I don't know, let's just say City Hall and or Logan Square or wherever in Philadelphia like that one dude was, if you just put the stuff out there, you're giving someone you're you're exalting someone, so to speak, right? Also, renaming things is very important. Why is the most prominent highway in basically northern Virginia named after the president of the Confederacy? You guys know what I'm talking about if you've been there. Have you ever left Tyson's Corner going south? Have you ever just done that? You know what you run into? I think it's called, I think it's Highway 1. It's called Jefferson Davis Highway. Why? Why is one of the most affluent zones in America named after the president of the Confederacy? You know what I mean? Just, oh, gosh. And then, and then, of course, you know, all the bajillion things that are named after Robert E. Lee, because, you know, yeah. the This country has me just groaning on my own podcast like this is my this is my my fun i'm supposed to be having fun doing this you know and like i said this is part two i'm at least doing four at least doing four parts at the minimum four this is part two part two and this country is just man (sighs) to close we have been historically fed the status of racism in America by people who do not go through it. The weather person doesn't tell you how the stock market is going for a reason. Why would they tell you they don't have the credentials nor the facilities to tell you about it? So why are we listening to the status of racism from the presidents, can't presidential candidates? <sighs> 
Oh, and I just need to blow this one up real quick before I go. I remember when it was protest season, national anthem, blah, 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 right? And everyone was saying, think of the veterans who fought so hard to have their rights smattered across the... Stop. Stop. All right. One of those things, you know, what's funny about one of those things that want that that aspect of life was actually something that was a confirmation of a racial bias. Think about it like this. Those people were saying, think about the veterans who fought so hard to have the whatever, whatever they were saying, right? You actually know that they actually had to psych like psych psychologically both omit the fact that there had to be black veterans at some point in time and omit the fact that they can't that those black veterans would come back to the United States and not have the same rights as the person they just fought with who was white. I was like, y'all are amazing. Y'all are y'all are walking into the mess you and you opened the door to. Like what? There are veterans that were black. I have family members who and friends who have been a part of armed services. They told they've told me about how things were. Think of the veterans. I am. I <laughs> what do you mean? They the veterans who would come back from Vietnam wouldn't get treated fairly when they were black and Vietnam's one of the more recent ones. They wouldn't get treated fairly when they came back home. So why is it think of the veterans? You know you're leaving a gigantic subset of information out, but hey, that's not my fault. I will let you walk into your own mess. Thank you for tuning in. As you can tell that had me quite vexed. Um but there's a few more episodes to do and we will I'll try my darndest. I'll try my darndest to do my best and to be on my best behavior. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you have a safe and wonderful week and I'll catch you all next time.